I believe 100% in the locker room. And that's where uh, I've worked for many great coaches and have a lot of mentors. Um, and a lot of them were X's and O's, structure guys and skill development guys. But, you know, one of the best I ever worked for was Dick Humilly. And, and uh, Dick Humilly at UNH, he, was, he knew every player in our locker room, what made them tick, what made them go, what they couldn't deal with, uh, what they could deal with, what they could handle. Um, and that's kind of where I've leaned into is more of that locker room because I think that's what this generation wants. You know, uh, they're willing to work and they're willing to sacrifice, but they need to feel that value, as you said. And if I focus on the locker room, everybody's the same in the room. You know, we're not on the rank. Everybody's the same. So we expect the same things. That was Scott Borick, head coach of the NCAA Mary Mac Warriors, currently the number five ranked team in the nation. And you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padorn. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Padolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hey there, and welcome to or welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Padolan. I am your host, Jason Padolan, and today we are interviewing Mr. Scott Borek. He is the head coach of the Mary Mac Warriors, currently his fifth year uh, as the head coach of the program, and he has really brought Mary Mac out of the out of the basement. You know, it was a, it was a program that that uh, was overlooked and uh, and not believed in. And he said uh, in the interview, which I found really interesting, uh, that we had just to stop apologizing for being Mary Mac. Uh, we had to change our belief system. We had to change our mindset around what Mary Mac is what we are and what we could become and uh and it's been a five-year process but here we are um sitting at number five currently as as the uh you know as i'm recording this and having the best year pretty much in school history so super fun uh to talk to scott uh, just about his approach to the team to the organization to the recruitment process how how he went about trying to change the culture uh, and to produce a program that can compete on the national level in an amazingly competitive conference in Hockey East. So there's lots of gold in this, uh, in this interview for sure. Scott, uh, Scott's an emotional and intense guy. Um, you know, he comes by it honestly. He'll be the first one to tell you. His players will also be uh, the first ones to tell you that, that he wears his heart in his sleeve. And, uh, and today we, we get into the nuts and bolts of... Uh, of all things Merrimack and even the the tragic loss of of his assistant coach Josh and and he we, we get into that and what that meant to him and the team and how they've been able to move forward from it and um or forward I guess you never move up past or on but you mean trying their best to to deal with such a tragedy and uh there's just a lot in in this interview and I think that the amazing part about the interview itself is that it only happened because of a connection um, that I had with one of my clients, and Nathan Mackey, and uh, and and we talk about that in the in the interview here as well, where where Scott and Mary Mack were really keen on having Nathan join their program, and 
and Scott did some homework and found out that I had been working with Nathan for the last couple of years, and he wanted me to uh, to get my some insight on Nathan and what he was about, and and not only as a player, but most importantly as a person. And uh, and through that conversation, uh, you know, I ended up creating a, a a relationship with Scott that now you know he he said he'd love to come on the podcast, and now so here he is. And uh, it's amazing the way these things work, right? The the interpersonal connections that that uh, that we make, whether you're a whether you're in business uh, as as an entrepreneur or whether you're you're in a corporate organization, um, definitely the 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 connections that we make and and the and the people that we touch uh, definitely definitely matter. I'm I'm very happy to to have Scott in in my network now in some capacity. Uh, network is potentially the wrong word, but you know in in my ecosystem, uh, he's he's love what he was talking about. I love what he's all about. What he stands for. Uh, what he you know what he's trying to do on a daily basis uh, the utmost respect for that and and being able to share 60 minutes with him now and and uh, you know and hear some of the things that he's doing there uh, I'm always looking and trying to grow myself I know Scott is too and and to be able to have somebody that maybe I could text or call and and get his opinion on or maybe be able to share a a player that I know of here that could help the Merrimack uh, um, warriors someday in the future you know I mean I think I get fired up about that type of stuff so uh, thank you again to hockey and to the hockey world uh, for bringing uh, Scott in, into my into my ecosystem and into my uh, universe and and now because he's in my universe he's in your universe and uh, and you're gonna get 60 minutes or a little over 60 minutes of, uh, of value from uh, from a head coach of a of a highly ranked uh, D1 university. So as far as uh, as far as you guys listening today, whether you're a parent or a coach or, or an athlete, listen to what Scott has to say. Listen to what he values. Listen to how he shifted his, uh, his own narrative on what it takes to win hockey games and how his belief in what is important now is being as allowing some of the biggest success that that, that he's seen, and, and that is putting putting the dressing room first and, and the people in that dressing room first. And uh, I just think there's so much gold here, and uh, and I was really really happy that we had the conversation. So without further ado, I bring you the head coach of the Merrimack Warriors, currently number five in the entire nation, and looking uh, with their sights on a national championship. Uh, Scott Borak, enjoy the conversation. Scott Boric, head coach of the Merrimack Warriors. Scott, thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having us, Jason. Really appreciate it. This is pretty cool for me because uh, your your area of the game is something that I am a bit unfamiliar with. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, I'm I'm a junior guy myself, major junior, and out here out west, we, as you know, there's no collegiate D1 programs out here yet. It actually blows me away. Uh, I do know the teams I work with, BCHL, obviously. Uh, gets recruited out out to your neck of the woods, but as far as me, I'm a bit of a neophyte when it comes to uh, to the college system. So I'm looking forward to to our discussion here today. Well, it's a you know it's funny. I never um, I actually recently within the last two hours had a team from PEI here that we toured a midget minor team, and you know I'm always very careful to talk about the comparisons major junior and college hockey because. As you can tell, I'm from Boston, and I have no experience in it. It's not for me to talk about, but there's a route for everybody, and as long as you investigate both and you consider both and then make a thoughtful decision, I, I think you're going to have a good opportunity wherever you go. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, what do you think it is, now that I brought it up, actually, and that wasn't really on my list of things to talk about, but 
all these schools out east that have these hockey programs yet there's these nhl teams that are growing more and more on the on the west coast you know that they have they have great systems themselves as far as like growing hockey players out west is there a time coming where where a usc or, or some of these schools out west will have hockey programs i really believe there is and i think it's closer than i could even imagine i, I would have thought that uh, it would eventually get there but um, that maybe not in my coaching lifetime, but I, I think with the emergence of Arizona State, um, a Pac-12 team, uh, they've had a lot of success. They built their own arena. Uh, they're filling their rank. I, I think it's just a matter of time before we see that. And I actually think we might even see a program like UBC or you know Simon Fraser or one of those teams try to enter the fray. That would be unusual for the NCAA because it doesn't usually cross borders. Um, but the NCAA is becoming much more liberal in its in its thinking right now. Um, and so I don't think it's that far fetched to think that will happen where a division of Pac-12 types teams, Washington, USC, UCLA, may merge with like a Simon Fraser and, you know, um, UBC and and create a league uh, Western Conference in college hockey. That'd be exciting. That'd be super fun, especially for the players out here. Uh, and it would become more on the radar, I think, just of the hockey, casual hockey fan out here, of course, right? Because it's yep, just more sure. present, it's more relevant, and I think it would add much more exposure uh, to the game. So that would be that'd be awesome if it ever I mean, going that way. I, I should say congratulations. Like, uh, depends on what ranking I look at. Um, I've seen you as high as tenth ranked right now, and also, uh, I mean, as high as fifth, and and also tenth uh, nationally. Uh, what what ranking system do you go off of first of all, and and what a great uh, what a great thing to be. Really, it's the pairwise ranking where we're fifth right now is the one that we focus on uh, when we consider it, only because that's the one the national tournament gets picked out of. So if you're in the top uh, fifteen in that situation, you'll be making the national tournament. And that's obviously the goal of every program. Uh, it's really not important. Like It's funny. It is important on Merrimack's campus right now because it hasn't happened in a couple of decades. Uh, but it's not really important to our season because there's so much of our season in front of us. So um, it's nice. And certainly uh, we're getting some platitudes that we haven't had in a long time. But, um, you know, that you know how that can turn when you lose a couple of games. And all of a sudden it gets very quiet. Well, it's probably something that I would assume. I mean, you you're in your fifth season now, and 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 I did a little bit of research on it. And you know, on your upon your arrival, you know, there wasn't much success in the win loss column. So some of the players that you've started with, you had a big freshman class there a few years ago. So they've been through uh, the weeds, let's say, a little bit. So now I'm sure they're super appreciative of where they're at. You know, what you guys have been able to accomplish, and they're probably not too keen on being complacent about about the success they're having. No, it's true. You know, the first year uh, we came in, we obviously inherited a team uh, that wasn't uh, wasn't a strong team. Ironically, we had great leadership on that team. Uh, Michael Bo uh, Babcock, uh, Mike's son, was our captain, and he um, he was an incredible leader. And he actually got us through what I would consider an extremely difficult season, where not only were we not successful on the rink we had to change the roster, you know, and, and it's not something where you can just trade guys. You know, we had to make some roster moves that had some really negative impacts on some players and families. And it was hard. It was the first two years here were really, really hard. As we started to turn the corner, uh, COVID hit. And that was just obviously like a blank in everybody's life. Um, so it's nice now to be on the other side of both of those things and to have this senior class who came in and trusted us when we weren't very good. Uh, to be having that success is really positive and um, it's really been something I take a lot of pride in. 
Yeah, and you should. And and when I was reading your bio, there there was there was mention of Mission Merrimack, which is something that you brought in with you. Would you mind shedding some light on what that means and 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 how you helped to change the culture there? Well, you know, when I when I uh, got to Merrimack, I had been at uh, several well not several but two different schools that competed in the same league. I had worked at the University of New Hampshire for thirteen years, uh, and then at Providence for six years on two different occasions. So. I was very familiar with the league, and I always felt that Merrimack's biggest issue uh, was just apologizing for being Merrimack. We're the smallest school in the division. We have the smallest arena in the division. Uh, we've had the least amount of success uh, in the division. No history of Division One's real success. Um, and yet, you know, we compete and we battle, but I always felt that the, the logo on the front sometimes impacted the results of the, the games and how the players felt. And so, you know, I, I remember my first year, uh, you know, we'd lose a game four to three and, and that was OK. And that's just not OK in life. And so, you know, we had to turn that and I kind of coined that phrase Mission Merrimack. So, you know, there's no apologizing. There's no moral victories. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. And obviously the word mission implies a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of work in a lot of different areas. We need to work, um, obviously, on the rink and the strength room. We had to work on our campus to to sell to our student body that, you know, we could be a competitive Division One team, competitive in Hockey East. We had to work with our alumni to have them believe that and come back uh, to it and, and expect success from us. So the mission piece was simply the, the work that was going to be needed to do it. Um, and if you, you know, put a word to something, I think sometimes you can actually get the, give the guys the vision and they can follow that. Yeah. I mean, that's big. It was, I, ironically, last night I was in front of 26 coaches and we were, uh, a lot of what we were talking about was culture, you know, and, and what culture is and, and it's become a bit of a buzzword, I think in the, uh, you know, in the sports community, well, even in big business, right? Like what kind of culture does your organization have your, your corporation, your, your team, uh, and and it, and there is some some science around what that is, but it's hard. To, one, it's hard to measure, and two, it's really hard to put a finger on on it. And and one of the ways that I described it, I said, well, it's it's got to be observable behavior, right? You have mm -hmm. to a culture is a feeling, yes, but you have to be able to see things that are now different, right? That you can say, yes, we're successful in this or not. Um, what are some of the observable behaviors that you would point to your team this year um, with a new beliefs, a set of beliefs potentially that 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 is. That is different than when it went on your first arrival. Well, I, I think that the uh, the biggest thing that's happened to our team in the last two years uh, is that, you know, one more, you know, do one more. And, and that is something the players actually brought to the program. I didn't say that. I didn't uh, make that part of the mission. But we had some younger, some actually older guys come in. Um, one of our, our captain last year was from Vancouver, uh, Max Newton. He had transferred here from Alaska. He was a captain at Alaska. Um, and he just had a, this way he went about his daily routine. You know, in the morning he was doing yoga at six. And our guys had never done something like that, but they started doing it. Then we started having a little bit of success and they kept doing it. Um, and then it's being integrated into our program now where that happens all the time. Uh, when I first got here, the team would be in the weight room twice a week. And right away we said, no, we're in the weight room four days a week. Even if you're not lifting, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're still stretching, rolling out. You're still ath doing athletic exercises. And I think just the room, the smell of it, the feel of it, I think that makes you a stronger hockey player, a stronger person. Uh, so those are the things that uh, I think we tried to do. And then this year, one thing that we did, and, and um, it was, I think, one of the strongest things we've done since I've been here is we invited the program to our campus. The program is a 
company that was formed by Navy SEALs. Um, there was a, a helicopter crash in 1999 where seven of their men perished. And the three survivors decided to create a company uh, that would pay for the education of those seven families, which is pretty amazing um, goal to have. And they've done that. And they come to your campus and they came to our campus for two days and put us through things that were extremely uncomfortable um, and, you know, really helped us. And they gave us a saying, you know, add value, take strength. And that has spread through our locker room in a really positive way. You know, we want um, the guy next to you not to feel the strain because you're adding value to his day, to his game, to his to everything in his life. Um, and that was a really important step for us as well. I love that. You mind sharing any uh, one particular activity that stood out that they had you guys do? Uh, my favorite activity they did. So keep in mind, this is at 445 in the morning. Both, you know, Navy SEALs are famous for the morning, right? So we met them on September 2nd at an outdoor pool um, that was not very far from campus. It was important it was outdoors because that added to the strain of it because it was a little chilly at 4.45 in the morning. Uh, every, and they did all these exercises in the pool and hockey players aren't necessarily very comfortable in the pool. And the, the one thing they did I thought that really stood out to me was you had to wear a hooded sweatshirt in the pool and they had to taking it off. You were in the deep end. There was no standing. It was an 11 foot deep end. And you had to take it off, tread water, hold it over your head, put it back on. This went on for like 30 minutes. Um, then they let the guys go to the wall, get a little bit of a break. And they went back in, did the same thing, except this time uh, you and I had to exchange sweatshirts. And you had to put mine on and I had to put yours on. And it's one thing putting your own on in water, which is very difficult. But putting someone else's on in water, you know, different. We, our goalie is a 6'8", 250-pound guy. And he had to put someone else's sweatshirt on, you know, and that's, we have no one else on our team who's going to wear that same sweatshirt. So it was, uh, it was incredible. And the video of it, which we took, um, we actually have players holding guys up, you know, getting underneath them, the guys who are really struggling in the water, holding them up while they put sweatshirts on. I mean, even now it gives me the chills to think about it because that's things that, you know, guys don't want to touch each other in the water. You know, the guys don't want to be that close. Uh, but you're forced to do that. And I, I just think it was an amazing experience for us. Um, and it helped us get to another level as a family. And it's it's something I think we've been able to carry forward. That's fantastic. Yeah, that uh, that's really fantastic. I love that. When you're forced to find solutions to problems that you never even knew existed, right? And, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And then it just comes, you know, that, that type of uh, relatability, that connectedness, it starts to become more natural. Hello there, Jason Padolan here. This week there's a special offer, and it's so special that I am recording this from my truck on the road and on my phone. So apologies for, for the audio quality. I'm not in my studio, but I wanted to make sure you guys knew about what is happening here prior to Christmas. And what is happening is that I am offering uh, the Peak Potential Hockey Project as a credit. So if you want to take the Peak Potential Hockey Project at any time in 2023, any of my guided missions, you can join whichever one you want in 2023 with a purchase prior to Christmas. As a special bonus, I am also throwing in a private onboarding coaching call with me. This is usually not included in the guided mission. So if this is something that you think your athlete should do, or if you're an athlete and you know you want to do it, but just haven't been able to secure the right time or the right place, then get your credit now. You can use it at any point in 2023, plus you get a free onboarding call with me, uh, which is something that I usually don't offer. So there you have it. It's available at upmyhockey.com. 
Uh, make sure you get in there, get your credit, uh, and make sure that you invest in your mindset. You know it's what you should be doing. You know it's going to give you the competitive advantage that you need. And, uh, and yeah, why not just make it happen? So Merry Christmas. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Happy holidays. That vulnerability piece, which is a, the, the V word that I don't really like using because especially around hockey players, you know, like we're, we, 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 uh, we assign gladiatorship to ourselves, right? And then mm-hmm. the way we go about our business. But I do think that that level of vulnerability where a guy is struggling in the water or whether it's somebody who says something in the locker room, like the ability to be vulnerable, to allow somebody else in to your world as a team is something that really can bring a team forward. So when that gets exposed and then they – they, they see the value in it. Now it becomes more natural, I think, probably throughout the rest of the year. For sure. For sure. It was, it was, you know, we'll, they have four different programs. So you could actually have them with you for four years and each play, each year, the player would be doing something different. Uh, this one was really powerful. We're going to really work hard to try to get them back uh, because it really did change. It just, it just brought the group together. And, sure. and that was, that was powerful. I like you said, they're apologizing for being Mary Mac and, and you talked about, uh, belief, right? Which I think is a mindset thing. And I, th- I think, you know, that that's, that's my neck of the woods. You know, I'm a mental performance coach and uh, you know, our operating systems, right? Like how we function and go about our day, like really matters. Like what, where, how do we start things off? Uh, that changing that belief system can, can be, can be difficult though. Like what, what was some of the, what were some of the triggers or some of the ideas that you tried to institute that, that said, no, this, we are, we're better than this, or, or we're different now, or we, we got to think about ourselves differently. What, what were some of the, was it trigger words or lines or, or actions, or how did you go about doing that with the culture? It, it was not really, it wasn't very verbal. Um, it was just a work ethic that we had. And, and that was the one advantage we had to start the, my first year here. Michael Babcock was, one of the hardest working people I've ever been around and how he accepted defeat. I just didn't understand because he worked so hard. He deserved success, but the guys around him weren't necessarily doing that. Um, and frankly, what happened is that we, uh, I did not let the players have moral victories. I did not allow that, you know, our work ethic and practice, it didn't matter if we weren't supposed to win and didn't win, or if we weren't supposed to win and came close. Um, we kept grinding and grinding through it. We ended up having 19 roster changes between year one and year two because some people weren't really willing to keep up. Um, and I think it, I think the biggest thing that I've been able to, and I have I say I, I really need to say we, because you can't do it yourself. You need a group of people around you, um, is we were able to take our locker room and make it our, it, I hate the word family because it's so um, overused, but I, that's my belief. You win in the locker room first. The locker room is the place where your success comes out of. Everybody has good players. Everybody's a good coach. You know, everybody deals with the referees, some better than others. Uh, but at the end of the day, if we have the strongest locker room, then we can be successful. And this year, the, the one thing I would point to is we have a number of leaders on our team. The team, I have the team not pick the captains, but suggest the captains. Three of the players they suggested um, were not guys who were going to be in the lineup every night. And so the two that I thought I picked out two of those um, and told them, are you going to be able to be a leader? Are you going to be able to wear a letter on your jersey and sit in the stands for games? Um, and they both accepted that, said, yes, I can do that, but I'm going to prove that you need me, which you want every player to do. So that's great. Well, in our second game of the season, um, we had a guy with an A on his sweater 
Uh, we had lost the first night. We had this guy with an inner sweater. We sat in the bench for 56 minutes. Didn't play a shift. He was our 13th forward. Uh, we, we got a lead. The guy that um, we had a sophomore who hasn't played a lot, but is highly skilled, but better on the offensive side than the defensive side. I slipped Mick into the lineup for the last four minutes of the game. We won the game. Mick had a big block at the end of the game. And I think that legitimately, if I was to point to one thing this season, I would point to that. And that's happened three times where our 13th forward has been a captain and has played very, very little to none. How can anyone else complain? You know, uh, you can't. And those guys have just embraced that so well that they've made our team much, much stronger. Wow, that's super cool. I mean, so how did you how did you frame the suggestion of who the captains are? Did you put it on a value system? Because a lot of times, as you know, experience, whether it's at the minor hockey level or even at the NHL level, usually it's the best players that are, get the first notice, you know, and then we, and then maybe we go down on, okay, what type of leadership ca- characters do they have or what's their work ethic like, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but sometimes if you can reframe what that means to be a captain, then you get these suggestions. Was, was that something that, that you, you gave them the layout of what a captain means or was that something they totally did on their own? Well, what we did, and this is going to sound, this is college-esque. Uh, we read a book. We read the book, The Energy Bus um, by John Gordon. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, but it's a book that just talks about who like, basically the energy bus is your locker room. And it, on the energy bus, you know, you're as the coach, it's your decision who gets on the bus. It's your decision on where they sit on the bus. And it's your decision who you need to get off the bus. And that's obviously the hardest thing as a coach. So I had the whole team read that book. And then we created 10 and there's 10 rules in it. And we created 10 uh, groups that would present to the team. Uh, and we did that, went through it. And everything in that book that you, they talk about is the things you want your leadership to understand. And then after we read that book, uh, we were actually going to go into this meeting and we didn't have a chance because life happened to us. Uh, we played our first weekend uh, with assigned captains but that they had picked, but that I hadn't really even introduced. And then uh, then we talked about it. We talked about we don't want the best players. That's why two of the you know, basically fifth line players are captains. We don't want the best player. Uh, we don't want the most popular guy. We don't want the guy who's, we want the guy who you firmly trust sitting next to you will do what it takes to be successful, not only for himself, but also for you. And that was all I said along, along with the book. Um, and they came up with the great suggestions and we're really fortunate. And our captain right now is a Prince George. I uh, was a Prince George captain he, and he's from Abbotsford and uh, is a heck of a player and, He's been a great captain for us. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, I do think that's what it's all about. I mean, it's a it's a people. I think it's a people accolade, right? A person accolade. And I talk about the development of the person prior to the development of the player. And when you can put the person development, the personal development first, and the uh, you know the personal example like that, that's a great thing to for everyone else to lock onto, right? Because it it becomes, I believe, it becomes more about that growth mindset of development and what we can become together, and not what we already are. So that's a really cool significance there that, that you put. I'm sure they wear that letter with massive amounts of pride. And uh, and how about from how about their their personal development? These guys that you said that were were you know 13th forwards or whatever have they have they earned as they said like their their worth to the team? Are they playing more minutes now? Well, interestingly enough, two games ago, uh, two of them, who are the two guys, ironically, who didn't play those much, uh, played very poorly. And I had to make a decision because they're, you know, they've played well for us. They've sacrificed a lot for this program over the years, but also 
for this team over the last two months. Um, and so I made a decision instead of doing a video where they were in it, I sent them a private video and then met with them and just said, this is unacceptable. It can't happen again. I can't play you if this is the case. Um, and ironically, I, I think, and I've never done that before, but I, I felt I had to protect them a little bit. I did. And they played great for us last night, you know, in the third period, um, the game was a two, one game. There was, you know, there's, there's adversity in every game, but, um, when you're new to success, the adversity tends to raise your anxiety a little bit higher. Um, and those guys, they went in and dominated to play every, I bet you they played four to five shifts in the third period, but they dominated. We were in the offensive zone the whole time. They were excessively physical. Um, and we, that's exactly what we needed. They, they, they took us over the finish line and I give them a world of credit for it. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, you mentioned the word trust there a little while ago. Um, to, to rebuild a program or to rebrand a program, right, to, to institute this new culture, uh, there has to be an immense amount of trust in you and your staff. Um, I mean, that, that is another one of these words that, that's around, and I think it's easier said than done. How do, you, how do you develop that trust between you and your players that they're going to get behind you and get behind your ideas? Well, we meet one-on-one a lot. I think the players nowadays need that. Um, and it, it's hard, you know, that's the hardest part of my job is meeting with the players who aren't getting, I call it the cake, you know, they're not playing, you're not getting rewarded. You're not getting excited by the fans or the campus. And, you know, those are the players I need to spend most of my time with. Right. So, uh, I've tried to be very direct, um, and very honest and very transparent with decisions that we make, uh, with the reasons we make them and have invited them into my office to discuss them whenever they wanted to. And, and most recently, and, we had a player in here who hasn't played a lot, good player, but you know, we're nine and one in our last 10. There's not going to be a lot of changes to the, to the lineup. Um, and that's why I let those players go through the way I did the last time because they played really well going into that game. Um, but he came in and he was off the bus, you know, and I was very honest and direct with him that you, if you're going to stay off the bus and you have to leave, you know, and, and I love this young man. I recruited him for three years myself. He wasn't an assistant coach's recruit. He was my recruit. Um, and I just think he he wasn't seeing, he was not seeing the, the the team through the right lens. You know, it was kind of a why me. And whenever we get to why me, and then the, the words, well, my confidence, you're not giving me a chance to get my confidence. And I, you know, I said, you can't give me that responsibility. That's your responsibility. And the minute you hand it to me, you've, you've let go of it and you never guaranteed it's coming back. Um, so. I've tried to be very direct. I'm sure there are players here who haven't been satisfied with that, you know, and I'm sure there are guys who 10 years from now may appreciate it that didn't appreciate it then. Um, but for the most part, uh, that's one of the nice things about coaching college hockey versus a major junior team. We're dealing with a lot of men you know, we're dealing with 20, you know, we, we do have the 18 year olds and there's a lot of work with those guys. Um, but we have 24 year old guys on our team. You know, they're men, you know, I can tell them what they need to know and they can tell me whatever they want to say to me. Um, and, and that's how we go. And, and it's been fun, uh, to see that development. I think we've been successful in quite a few situations, but you know, I'd be lying if I told you that we were successful in every situation. So, um, that's where the energy bus comes in. Cause with the ones that we're not successful in, I have to have the hard conversation with him and tell him to find a new opportunity. Take a short break from the conversation with Scott. To remind you to get out there and to review the podcast, uh, 
it's amazing every week more people come into come into my world uh, through the podcast uh, with with whatever it is with whether it's a review or a thanks or this episode was amazing or uh, love what you do. I actually had a, a father from New York reach out just this past week. Uh, he has a son that's an 08. Uh, who is struggling with some confidence and said that they, you know, he was exposed to me through the podcast and now he wants, uh, he, he's looking into having his son work with me. And, uh, and he said that he really enjoys the podcast and loves the authenticity of it and, and really under, uh, I mean, looks forward to our next episodes. And it's just super cool, right? It, it's super cool that, that the podcast is, is been such a great avenue for people to access topics like mindset, like personal development, like the interpersonal um, advantages that arise uh, through the hockey world. And, and, and a lot of these stories are, are new to people, right? And, and they were new to me at the time before I was able to live through it and before I was able to now help athletes through some of this stuff uh, on a one-on-one level or, or through a team level. So it's awesome that it's exposing my listeners two concepts that are making a difference in either their lives or in their athletes' lives. Uh, and that fires me up. And obviously, and obviously it, it helps me on a level of the business level when, when people come to me and now they want to work with me or they want to take one of my programs, they want to get their team involved. So so as far as the, rep, I hate this word, re, reciprocity of, of the whole idea, like, you know, giving back, allowing allowing people to, to, uh, to come my way as well, it, it's super fun. But the idea here is, is that the more people that listen, the more people that get value, the more people that are exposed to the concepts, the better our hockey world becomes because everyone's going to take away something different. Some of their stories are going to change. Some of some of their uh, their perspectives are going to change. And uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, and it's also good for the podcast. So if you want to support the podcast at all, um, by all means, write the review that you haven't written yet. Um, support it in the fact of by sharing it, by talking about it, by by getting it into your ecosystems, your personal universes. And uh, and that's it. One guest at a time, one episode at a time as we grow this thing and, and, uh, and get it into national promi- prominence. <laughs> Last year, when I was go- putting out an episode a week there for, for quite some time, uh, we did get up into the top 25, I believe, in Canada for hockey podcasts. That's a that's a huge accomplishment for somebody who's just doing it by themselves without any type of media branding behind it or any type of network or really any type of celebrity associated with it. So it's completely content driven and it's completely um, word of mouth. I mean, organically driven. So uh, that's been the model so far and I'm not changing it as of yet. So, you know, do your part. If you're somebody that's here, that's listening, that is an avid listener, really enjoyed this episode. If you're new to the program, love what you're hearing from Scott, by all means, please reach out put the review in, share, share the episode on your social media. And, uh, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for listening today. Now back to the episode with Scott Boren. For people to feel like a part of, of something, well, one, they need to feel like they belong, right. And they need to feel that they're of value. Um, and I think the third one for me is that they need to feel challenged. And, and that's where like the of value and, and the feel like they belong it's hard, right? It's hard when you're out of the lineup and it's hard when you haven't necessarily been given a, a type of role. But um, I really encourage players to try and find that, you know, to try and find what that is. And obviously if I'm, if I'm the liaison between a coach and a player, that would be also what I'm trying to would have the coach try and identify for them, right? What purpose do they serve here? 
because when we don't have a purpose, like it is hard to feel a part of it, right? Um, so it's, but it's a super challenge because when you, when you are out and you don't feel like you're contributing the way you want to contribute as a player and you've been a player and I've been a player, we both know how, how frustrating that can be, right? But uh, it is a massively delicate balance and I don't envy you at all because I know those, those discussions are, are hard. But, uh, but I think, you know, as far as from a transparency and authenticity standpoint, the more you are those things, uh, the more that trust and respect is there. And I guess that's really what the foundation of the whole program needs to be about, right? No, any successful, even even if you're just building, I think that has to be there. Um, and ironically, my first year, you know, I, I approached the team with, hey, this, is, this isn't hockey, this is life. And you're going to, this is my classroom. And I'm going to try to teach you through adversity. And for some of you, that's going to mean you're going to play less than you ever have before. Some of you, it's going to mean you're not going to play at all. For some of you, you're going to get cut. And that's going to be up to you. And so, you know, I use the example of um, a used car salesman, you know. So if I'm a used car salesman and I sell 40 cars one month and Jason sells two and I go to the boss and say I want more money, Jason gets fired because they want me to have his money because they want to keep me because I sold 40 cars last month. So it's about production. And it's not, you know, I'm not talking about points, I'm not, but impactability. And what, what can you do to make our team better? Um, this young man I talked about uh, that who is struggling, we had this conversation last week. I, that was my direct quote to him. I said, tell me how you're making our team better. Tell me that because you're not doing it in practice and that's unacceptable. And you're not doing it in the locker room because you're wearing that scowl like you want to punch me in the face. So you need to make a decision either to add value in the role you've been given so far or just get off the bus. And we always refer to the bus because I – I believe 100% in the locker room. And that's where uh, I've worked for many great coaches and have a lot of mentors. Um, and a lot of them were X's and O's, structure guys and skill development guys. But, you know, one of the best they ever worked for was Dick Humili. And, and uh, Dick Humili at UNH, he, was, he knew every player in our locker room, what made them tick, what made them go, what they couldn't deal with, uh, what they could deal with, what they could handle. Um, and that's kind of where I've leaned into is more of that locker room because I think that's what this generation wants. You know, uh, they're willing to work and they're willing to sacrifice, but they need to feel that value, as you said. And if I focus on the locker room, everybody's the same in the room. You know, we're not on the rank. Everybody's the same. So we expect the same things. Yeah. The, uh, and I think that's, I mean, that's coaching 2.0 now, I think, right? Like the, the attention to, the individual in the collective, right? And I think 20 years ago, it was just about the collective and you had needed to figure it out on your own uh, about how you're supposed to be involved in that from the player perspective. And now I think there is much more, um, you know, ownership from the coaches that these guys are individuals. And and to your point, I mean, the individual meetings, you know, they need to know why, they need to be, the ability to ask questions. Um, a lot of these things weren't, weren't part of the coaching realm. And I think that the, the psychological aspect of coaching uh, has really taken off. You mean like, and, and I think that's where a lot of success is. So um, sounds like you're, you're definitely on, on, on that, uh, on that bus too, uh, to, to use your terminology. <laughs> well, being a dad, you know, and a stepdad, you know, you, you have, it's funny. I, I really relate to that. I think you have situations at your dinner table that um, can relate to your locker room. You know, your kids feel the same way. They may have more, trust in the love between the parent and the, and the child, but they still require a lot of that, that same thing. And, and all my kids played hockey. And um, so I saw them go through great coaches and, you know, um, and bad coaches, you know, but I think that uh, getting to know 
kind of what my own children responded to um, was important for me to develop as a coach. Cause I, I I'm talking as if I'm, um, I don't know, like I, that I've always focused on the locker room because that's not the case. It's really been a maturation over the last 10 years to realize that, you know, if I want to do the best I can for this group of young men, that's where I have to focus. You know, anyone can do what I'm doing on the rink. You know, I have to do it in the room. Yeah. As you said at the dining room table, I think that's interesting because a lot of my uh, listeners and, and and people that are listening to this podcast are hockey parents and, uh, uh, and not that they have to be hockey parents, but I mean parents in general. And how does that, what would be your advice to the parent that has a player in an environment that maybe they think isn't optimal, right? That this coach isn't a great coach, as you said. You mean he's had some great coaches and maybe some not so good coaches. How do you handle the messaging to your son or daughter in that environment as far as how they're supposed to show up and how do they deal with that situation? You know, it's it's interesting. I I, I think it's, I think that's a good experience for players. Ironically, you know, the toughest time for them with the worst coach might be the best and most exper- uh, most important experience they have in the game as far as a life experience to train them for the future. So I, I really have tried in the past to tell my kids, first of all, and this is not, this wasn't great with my wife at times, uh, but you have to deal with it. You have to talk to the coach. You have to, um, work through this because this is not the first or last time you're going to have a bad boss. And that boss is still the one making decisions on your success moving forward. So you have to find a a common relationship with them and you have to respect them because at least respect their time, you know, because they are putting in a lot of time. And so if they're good or bad at something, you know, they find the thing they're good at and work through that adversity and, you know, one of the things I used to say to my kids all the time, and one of my boys repeats it to me now, but, um, you know, when you go on the rink, just make sure everybody in the rink, every parent, every coach, every Zamboni driver knows who, who cares the most because you work the hardest. If you do that, everything's going to work itself out. And then in the room, be, be a teammate. Yeah, that's great advice. I, I think... No, I like how you said there to figure it out. I mean, like the, the idea of figuring it out, I believe that's an empowering place to put your son or daughter or even somebody that's in your locker room for that matter. Uh, when they feel like that victim role or the helpless that I am, I am a part of something that, uh, that I can't control like that, like how disempowering is that? Right. I mean, then, then you yeah. are, you, you, you do feel that way, but I, I don't believe like, I don't believe there's many situations where you totally have no control. And, and, and that's one thing that I definitely try and teach the players that I, that I work with. And also with, with my sons is, you know, how are you going to solve this? How are you going to be a part of the solution? And, and what is your idea for, for the solution? Right. And, and instead of mom or dad going into whatever the environment is and trying to fix it, right. Like that, that I believe is, is not teaching these, these, these young men or women that the right way to go about it. So of course there's an, for, in my opinion, there, there's a spot in it. There's a time where, where potentially a mom or dad does need to get involved. You know, there, there's some situations that maybe are almost toxic, but you have to allow your athlete, I believe, the opportunity to to make to figure it out, right? To to, to get involved, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the growth of the person again. I guess back to my original point, and and not just the hockey player. And hopefully, we have young, strong young men and women uh, that are that are growing through our sport and through the through the good coaches and the bad coaches. But uh, that is part of the thing, I think. But all these scenarios where we talk about adversity, when we look back, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing, like the toughest parts of my career were the ones that I'm now most thankful for quite ironically. And they're the ones I hated the most at the time when you were going through it. Right. 
Yeah, but it's it's prepared you to to impact other people, you know. And I think it's that to me is is the um, you know someone said this is not my original, although I do love it. Uh, the reason we're so soft is there's no fights in the playground anymore. We don't let our kids fail, and so we enable them. And uh, that's that to me. When and and uh, you talk to parents who who talk about their son or daughter that has failure to launch. You know, it just has a kind of a failure to launch. Well, you know why? You've never asked him to launch. You've never made him or her. And sometimes that happens through failure. Um, and that's happened, you know, it's in my own home right now. I have stepchildren and that's a unique relationship. Um, and my wife was single for a long time with three kids and became their friend. And our biggest challenge right now is taking our hands off the wheel. You've got to give them the wheel and they are going to fail. And that's good. And once they fail, we'll help pick them up. And then they'll learn from that and they won't fail in a bigger situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's uh, sage advice. Uh, you mentioned recruiting a few times. I'm going to shift gears just into that because that is something that, uh, you know, that's actually how you and I met essentially, right? <laughs> I mean, you were, yeah. you were, you were talking to uh, one of, one of my personal clients in, in, uh, I can use his name, I assume, right? That's oh yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, yes, you in, can. In, I'm still disappointed in him. <laughs> in uh, in Nathan Mackey, who uh, what what a great story he is, just in of itself. But you know, for those listening, Scott um, Scott was trying to recruit him and wanted to know a little bit more about him, and found out that I was working with Nathan, and then made a phone call to me to find out, you know, what what kind of makes him tick, and just maybe to help him in the process of of having Nathan go there, and 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 that was really interesting to me and i think that's a credit to you too and your and what you do and how you go about what you do because a lot of people might not have done that homework to even make that phone call uh so but what is that process like i mean can you explain the landscape of of college hockey recruiting i've heard that there's there it has to be someone on the coaching staff first of all is that true and and how do you guys go about identifying players that you uh that you think are mary mac warriors well it it, ha- it does have to be someone on the coaching staff that initiates any contact with the player um, but obviously we do what everybody else does. We're on the road. We're, we're watching a ton of video because that now you have access to almost every junior age player in the world um, via your computer. Uh, but then you're on the road and, and watching them play. And there, but there are millions of really good players out there. And, and there are very, a lot of very focused, talented athletes playing our sport. And that's what's raising our game. Um, so finding that talent isn't nearly as important in my eyes as getting to know that person. Um, you're going to invite them into your living room, essentially. Uh, and ultimately, in, a, in college, you know, I could lose a lot of hockey games and keep my job. If I bring bad kids to our campus, I'm going to lose my job. And so I, I try to tell our assistant coaches and, and myself, because when I was younger, I ignored red flags and, and it got me in trouble, our team probably in trouble. Um, but just that you have to bring someone to our campus that you'd have at your dinner table. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable, you'd have that guy at your dinner table, then we, we can't recruit him. I don't care how good he is. And the only way you're going to find that out is not to just talk to his coach or his advisor. You have to find people around him that can give you information that you feel could be valuable. And, and it's not always what the information is because most people are trying to help that young man get an opportunity and they're telling you positive things. But I'm lucky enough or unlucky enough to have been this in this game a long, long time. So there's certain ways people tell you positive things that you can trust. And there's other way, other ways people tell you positive things that, you know, is a forced effort on their part. And I try to see the, through that difference. And oftentimes in your case, it was a contact you had with Nathan. Um, but it might be a school counselor who's school counselors tend to be very honest, 
because if a kid's aggravated them for four years, they're aggravated and they'll tell you that. Um, you know, assistant coaches oftentimes are a better resource for us than the head coach. And it's the head coach's job to move those players on. Um, we'll talk to teammates. If we have a, a player uh, that's committed to us and we have another player we're interested in that he's played, you will ask them, you're in our locker room already. Do you want that player in our locker room? What will he bring to our locker room as a human being? What's his work ethic? What's his commitment off ice? Um, you know, we already know if he's good or bad. You know, can he live a college lifestyle? Because there's a lot of temptation in college, um, just like everywhere. But, you know, you're with you're on a campus with um, 4,000 people your own age. There's a lot of temptation around that. And so you're going to be you're going to have to say no as an athlete more than you're going to say yes. So it's it's important that we get to know the guys and the, and who they are and what kind of decisions they'll make when they're on your campus. And no doubt we've made mistakes and I've made plenty of them. Um, but you just try to limit them to information. Sure. What's well, an imperfect science, uh, I assume. But I mean, uh, it, it sounds like you're you're aligning your recruiting like much more than in the past since you shifted the focus of the philosophy to the dressing room first. Right. I mean, dressing room first really matters. And now who's inside that dressing room really matters, um, w- which is crazy because it's aligning with what I'm saying too. the person before the athlete. And 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 I love you saying that because I one of the things that I like, I beat the drum with, with my, with my players is, is, is to develop that, like to not disregard the impact you have to make a difference in a locker room, right. In a community uh, around your coaches, among your fellow teammates, because, you know, if you want to, if you want to take that, not even talking about junior 17, 18 year old kids that want to move on, but let's talk about the NHL players that last till their mid thirties, mid forties, right? Like they, that you have to be an amazing person to be around that long. If you're, if you're, if you're a bad apple, if you're, if you're some Hatawa cancer in a locker room, you, you will, you will not be there for very long. You have to be phenomenally good. And even if you're phenomenally good, a lot of times those, those players find a way to get out of the game. So, um, I love that. I love that that's your focus because hearing like having players and parents hear that because we're so focused on, you know, the points and is my guy first on the, is he the first one up in the power play? And, you know, like it sounds like, of course, you're looking for good hockey players, but not everybody's going to be the first guy, you know, the, the, the top of the umbrella on the PP. You know, I mean, you have to find other people to, to, to fulfill the puzzle pieces. Um and when you're talking about human beings now, okay, yes, can he skate? Can he shoot? What type of a person is he? Maybe that's a good segue into that type of a role player, which which I believe is like so hard to get people to believe in it. When I say people, I mean young players, right? Like let's say you're a 3-4 D-man that you're not on the PP, you're not throwing up big points, but you defend really well. You're a great guy in the locker room. I mean, you 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 value that role and you play physical. Is that somebody that Scott Borak finds? And if and if so, how do you identify that type of a player? You know, I almost think those are the hardest ones to find uh, just because it's the intangibles that make them strong. And finding out those intangibles are, are difficult to do um, at times. But we have had players who have done just that for us. Um, you know, I, I referenced those two players wearing a letter. Uh, both of them are still here in their fifth year because they got that COVID year back. I think many programs would have let those two players go and replace them with someone who is more talented. Um, but their value to our locker room is irreplaceable. We're going to miss them more next year. We're going to miss some of our more skilled players just because they do things right over and over and over again. Uh, and they can sit on the bench for 56 minutes and stay connected to the game. You know, uh, <clears throat> we had another player uh, actually from play, who played in Nanaimo 
Uh, Tristan Crozier was a captain at Brown University last year. His brother's a captain at Providence College right now. I recruited his brother, Max, to Providence, so I had a relationship with the family. Tristan was able to have his fifth year. He came here, and we played Boston College, and he's wearing a letter on his sweater. He says, this isn't one of the two guys I was talking about. He's our 13th forward in this game. He didn't play a shift. And he was so connected to the game that after the second period, we were we were in the lead. It was a stressful game. After the second period, he walked into our coach's little room there. Says, coach, I talked to you. And my first reaction was yes. But in my heart, I was like, oh, no. Is he going to make me deal with you know, his ice time in the middle of this game? And he said, Coach, I think there's a lot of stress on the bench and emotion. I think it's coming from you. And I was like, thank you, Tristan. I got it. You're 100% right. Let's move on. That won't be the case moving forward. He never even brought up ice time to me. And the game ended. All I did was celebrate him. We won the game, and I, but I made sure the players understood. The reason we won that game is one of the guys you chose as a leader had the courage and the, the wherewithal, even though facing severe disappointment himself, I'm sure, um, to say, hey, coach, this is on you. And I love that. And that's happened to me twice this year. Once with Tristan and another time with a sophomore. Our last game, we were playing great. We're down at UConn, and it was a very physical. It was a little bit uh, tenuous where that game was going to go. The officiating was very involved, which I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it makes it more stressful. Um, and after the second period, walked into me, said the same thing, because I was all over the ref, because I just was so frustrated. Um, and he said, Coach, I think you were distracting us. I think you're distracting us. We got this. And then after the game, he apologized to me. And I, and I, you know, I looked at him, I said, Ziv, that's the best thing you could have done. You know, I need to be coached too. We're a family. Sometimes you got to tell your dad he's doing the wrong things or you don't like what he's doing. And I, I love it. And I encourage my players to so be coach in both directions. And I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm an emotional human being. And that sometimes is my best quality, but also sometimes my worst quality. And the fact that my players will come up to me and, and uh, we don't use the word coach much. It's usually nicknames um, and say that to me. I, I tell you that because I'm proud of it, uh, not because it's – but that's the team we have, and I'm really, really proud of that. Short break here just to remind you about Up My Hockey and what it is. Because Up My Hockey, if you are new here or if you are just a casual podcast listener, is more than a podcast. Up My Hockey really is a philosophy, and the philosophy behind Up My Hockey and why I started what I'm doing is the belief – and the philosophy of holistic development, uh, of taking the traditional development mold of hockey, hockey, hockey to be a hockey player and turning that a little bit on its head and saying it's a holistic development of the person that's going to create an amazing hockey player. Now, I love hockey. I'm passionate about hockey. I'm passionate about winning games. I'm passionate about working on your release and your skating and, and the nuances of, of becoming amazing at your craft. Uh, and it's easy to fall in love with that so much. That is the entire focus. But the more I do what I do, the more I reflect on my own personal journey, the big gains and the things that I look back on from my hockey career that mean the most to me are the ones where I've learned about myself and I've learned about myself as a person and I've grown as a, as a person and, uh, and as an athlete, right? So when it comes to whether I'm working with amateur athletes, minor hockey athletes in a hockey perspective, and I'm 
bringing them to boxing classes or I'm bringing in basketball coaches to teach them boxing, the holistic development of the athlete, or whether I'm talking about mindset programs and personal development strategies and, and concepts about how to improve quicker than other people when it comes to your development and your practice habits or your mental agility and how you can recover from mistakes or how you can become more resilient, how you can build your passion for the sport, which is really the key component to everything because that's going to help you push harder and get through the hard times. There are so many aspects of personal development, uh, which really is player development, which I am now calling holistic development that I am really excited about without my hockey that I feel is a bit of a differentiator when it comes to the marketplace and what people are saying out there um, that I like it. I think that's why there's traction here. So if you are interested in personal development, if you are interested in becoming your best as a hockey player through a little bit of new age science, a new age perspective that is really based on uh, old school philosophies, uh, if that makes any sense at all, then oh, my hockey is the place for you. The conversation Conversations that we have here, uh, as you've learned in, in, in the podcast, are uh, are somewhat new. I think they're fresh, uh, and I think that my programs and my services on the other side of up my hockey uh, really apply uh, supply an avenue for players to grow as people, and uh, and as they grow as people, they grow as hockey players, and uh, and not only do they grow as hockey players, but they're able to be empowered in whatever facet of life that they, that they choose. And they're able to impact their communities and their families and their teams um, uh, and make an impact. I mean, make a positive impact. And, and I do believe as part of like my core mission of up my hockey and my core mission of what I'm doing now is I really believe and want and strive that anyone that's involved in our great game of hockey, anyone that's associated with it is recognized as an impactfully positive person in their community, in their church, in their organization, in their school. I want hockey to be, if you're a hockey player or if you're a hockey coach or if you're a hockey manager, if you're somewhere around the game, that this is a person that you automatically know is good people. It's a good human being. It's somebody that you want to be around. It's somebody that's going to have a positive impact on you and your inner circle. Uh, and I really believe that hockey can be that. I, I, I love the, the old... The old line that, you know, sport doesn't teach character. It only teaches character if the coach demands it. And uh, and, and I agree with that. I, I think as amazing as hockey is or as sport is in general, it doesn't just happen because you're involved. It has to happen with intention. And, uh, and my intention is to let's build some great people. So... Hopefully you're enjoying this podcast. Hopefully you're you're enjoying what Scott's saying. I kind of went on a rant here with this one uh, because Scott seems really aligned with what up my hockey is and what my philosophy is for for hockey players and those associated with it. So I thought, what a better time to really talk about, um, you know, the the message, the philosophy, what what the mission statement is for for up my hockey and why I do what I do. So, yes, if you are into holistic development, uh, holistic personal development, which also aligns with holistic player development, up uh, my hockey is a great spot to be. Um, please share the episode. Please re please review uh, the podcast. Please get involved in up my hockey or get involved in the parent group on Facebook or or follow me on Instagram or follow me on YouTube and um, and watch the videos and and, and learn some of this the strategy tips and tactics uh, that I use when I'm working with players or teams to help them to become better people and better players. Um, that's enough for me and up my hockey. Let's get back to the interview with Scott Borak, head coach of the Merrimack Warriors. What a credit to that to that player because uh, 
being selfless in, in a moment where he could have been selfish, right, is is huge. And the team was first. And talk about in, in, endearing and something that'll be a story you'll tell ten years from now. You know, like that's mm-hmm. that, that's fantastic. Uh, and that's the type of player that you obviously have identified and wanted to recruit. And you you've mentioned a few times now. Uh, I think if I got it correct, like captains of other programs that you've now brought over, is that part of something that, cause I think that rule has changed, right? That the ability to transfer now is, is that, is that something that is uh, you've identified as part of uh you know, part of your recruitment strategy, uh, team people, leaders elsewhere that maybe would want to come and, and join your program. You know, it, um, when I first came, we recruited 16 players and our mission was, Recruit the most competitive player on each team. Recruit them as many letters as you possibly can. Because who's the guy with the letter? You know, in some levels, it's the most popular guy, right? Or the best player. But it's also probably the most confident player. And you can't turn a program around without having a lot of swagger yourself. And so we couldn't coach that into a room that didn't have it. You could work on that, but that's going to take you a decade. We wanted to recruit it. So we had 16 guys come in, three of them were goalies, so we'll discount them. So there's 13 players, 11 of them were wore a letter before they got here. So now the transfer portal opens up, the COVID thing happens. We lost some players, like two guys signed National Hockey League contracts last year that were juniors that would have been our captains this year. One guy transfers grass is green or someplace else. So we went out and recruited uh, five grad transfers. Four of them were captains of their team before they came here. It was excessively intentional. It will continue to be that way for us. And and hopefully we can build a stronger program because of that. Wow, that's wild. How do you how do you feel about that just in general? Like the ability to transfer. I mean, it almost comes back to me. I think that there's there's an argument to me be made about I mean, you use the word soft, I'll use it again, like the softer generation, right? Like things aren't going good for me. So it allows me now the parachute to be able to get out and find something something else. Do you think that that's um is, is that a value? Is there a place for it now? Obviously, you're using it to, to your advantage, but how do you feel from a philosophical level? As a parent, I wouldn't support it. My my son coming to me and saying he wanted to transfer, I think I'd tell him, I, I think you got to go through this. Um, but as a coach, you know, I, I, uh, I could take another job tomorrow and leave these players. And why would I be getting that job? Because they did well for me. You know, they made me look good. So it's always the players. And so the fact that I have that ability, I think probably means that the players should have that right as well. But I also think that from a philosophically, from a player standpoint, the grass is never always greener. Like for the 300 kids who have transferred in college hockey in the last three years or two years, or maybe 300 is probably too many, but it's at least 100. I bet you there's more horror stories than there are positive ones. We've had... From our program, probably let's say 15 players transfer since I've gotten here in the fifth in the five years. Uh, only one has had a really positive experience, and his was because he went down to Division Three, and that was a decision he and I basically came to together. But guys who tried to find better situations at other places, it just hasn't happened, and I don't. I think that doesn't happen very often. Like you. The whole thing on relationship, you know, as a player, you're going to go through adversity every single year at some point at some level. What do you need the most? You need the trust of the coach. So we recruited you. So we've seen you play great. That's why we recruited you. We're probably also seeing you play average, but we still recruited you because we knew you could come out of that. Now you go to a new coach who has no history with you, 
has no relationship that he can understand with that you are going to have bad days or doesn't know that your family's dealing with something because he hasn't had to. Uh, I, I think it's a slippery slope for a player. Uh, we'll deal with it again this year. You know, I'm sure we will. But um, I have a very good argument now because guys can look and say, wow, those guys haven't had very good experiences. And it's not because of the place they're going. It's because of the relationship they gave up. Right. Yeah, great point. Great point. How, w- when it comes to the recruitment of these players, and I mean, you're, like you said, there's so many players, there's so many leagues, so many places to find players. Uh, how much do you depend on on the network that you've created over all these years? Meaning, uh, you know, like let's just say I'm part of your network. Jason Padolan calls you and says, "Hey, there's this guy you got to take a look at." Like, do you do you have certain people that you trust and hold in high esteem? And obviously, you have to have eyes on them yourself and have your own eye test. But is that a, is that a way where where you find some players a lot of the time from from connections you've made? It's probably the only advantage of being older. You know, uh, is that your network is bigger. Uh, you've had more opportunity to gain um, not only trust in people, but for them to gain trust in you because uh, you've had situations over and over together before. So, yes, there's no question. Our our network and, you know, spe- specifically during COVID, you know, we recruited kids out of British Columbia, but we couldn't be there physically ourselves. So we had to trust certain people that we had built relationships with to get us to the point where we would be recruiting those players. Um, and it's worked out really well. It's actually strengthened some of those relationships, which I think will be good moving forward. Um, and, you know, the good thing for us is when you recruit your assistant coaching staff, you want to get people who have different areas of expertise or knowledge than you do. Um, and so we have a pretty heavily Scandinavian roster right now. And I think we have six Swedes and one Finn. Um, and I had no experience over there, but I made sure the people I hired did. Um, and they've relied on that network and those connections to help us move those recruiting processes forward. Because they're, you said earlier, you know, that it is a head coach's job of wherever, let's say, you know, a BCHL team to move their players forward. You know, like that's something that, that, that is in their best interest for their program. But I think it is an interesting, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but there's a bit of a problem there because they can't recommend players that they don't really believe in because then that network that you're talking about, like that trust relationship breaks down too. Right. So, so there's an intimate advantage of, yes, I do want to have this player move forward. But now if, if I recommend a player, I'm not, I don't have full disclosure to, to, to uh, Mr. Scott Boric. And now that player comes in, it's like the next time you make that phone call, you lose a little bit of trust in me. Right. So, um, so I do think that that's interesting. And I guess that also uh, over, over the length of time and the longevity of your, of your dealings, you, you find out where the, you know, where the, where the truth really is. Right. And, and you, and you can see through that, or, you know, directly the guy will be like, I don't think this is a guy you want. This guy's not for you. Right. And, and then there's the trust again. And I do, that's one other thing when I talk with my players about, I'm like, you, like the, the connections, the interpersonal connections matter. And, that, and that's not something you can fake. You need to be authentic and honest about, about those types of things. But, um, but don't underestimate the value of it as well, because I think, I mean, it's a people first sport and, and, and people want to help people and they also definitely want to help good people that have, that have goals and dreams. So um, uh, it's interesting how that all comes together, right? We're always so for hockey forward focused, right? Stick handling pucks, you know, power plays and this, that, and the other. And there's so much of a personal uh, identity around being recruited around how you get to where you want to go and the way you go about it. And, um, I just try and shine a light on that because I think it's way more powerful than, than players and sometimes parents recognize. No, and I, I think it's, and it, it's 
no, even if you look just, and I, I'm not going to mention teams or names of people, but I think you can see the consistently successful teams in the BC league. And I don't mean they have to be winning the league or even winning their division, but the stable franchises where the coach has been there for a little while. That's because that relationship works in both directions. You know, we may get a player from, from X coach that will end up having a player that needs an extra year that we may send back to that coach, a different player that, so it's a two-way relationship and that makes both programs more stable. Um, and I think that that's, that's something that people don't always look at because uh, the recruiting process is full of things you want to hear. It's full of glitz and glamour. doesn't matter if you're being recruited to a midget team or a college team, right? That That's the coach's job. Um, and so I think just looking behind the curtain a little bit, um, the relationships maybe, and you can see it just through the stability of their programs, um, where guys are, how successful they've been. And there's many guys in the BCHL who've been there a long time. You're not there a long time unless you uh, trust it. And that's, I think that's an important thing for people to look at as they make their decisions going forward. All right. You mentioned, you mentioned your staff and, and how uh, I was going to ask you a question about that. Like whether at the college level, you were able to choose your staff, if that's something that a head coach is able to do. Uh, and you lost a staff member this year in Josh Sioko. And, and we talked prior, if that's something that you would, you'd want to mention. I just, uh, we also talked about adversity and obviously the, uh, how could there be bigger, bigger adversity for a group, um, including the staff, than, than losing uh, part of the family. It seems like that's something that you guys has have, you know, galvanized around and, and, and have, have allowed yourself to move forward maybe even stronger than ever. Um, do you want to share a few words about Josh and what he meant to the team and how you guys dealt with, with such a significant loss to your, to your group? Well, Josh, um, I re- Josh was my first recruit uh, when I worked at the University of New Hampshire, and I recruited him from Vernon, uh, from Mike Vandekamp. Uh, strictly, I had known Mike when he was at Merritt, and he had good teams at Merritt. Um, and so I reached out to him when I took this new job, and I said, who's who's your best player? Who's your most competitive player? Who who should I be talking to, Mike? And he suggested Josh, uh, and we recruited Josh. He ended up being a captain at the University of New Hampshire. And, you know, every once in a while, you have a player uh, that you recruit and coach that you become a friend of almost as an assistant coach early in your, in your lifetime together. And I would say that Josh and I, um, as soft, he was a sophomore. And uh, I think that he and I became friends as much as we were anything else. Cause he'd say anything to me. Um, and I, one of the proudest moments of my coaching career was, um, Josh's senior year. He, our seniors gave speeches at the banquet, uh, which is kind of a tradition, I think throughout hockey. Um, and I, after his sophomore year, he was a good player, not a great player, but a good player. And I gave him a, a um, card that that was called good is not good enough. And it had some lessons in it. And so at his senior banquet, he pulled it out, which is two and a half years later and, um, thanked me for that. Many, uh, years later, I had some, um, some personal tragedy and Josh was close to my family at that point. And I lost my own son who was 22 at the time. Uh, and Josh came up next to my other kids. So we, our relationship was so uh, strong and, and I think uniquely strong for a head coach and an assistant coach that I lost way more than a coach. And um, it's, we moved forward with our team and if I can digress, tell you a quick little story about our team. 
So obviously we tell our team, I'm extremely emotional. Dan Jules, our other, uh, Josh's partner, and the school, Merrimack's a, a Christian school, Catholic school. We have a, a, um, a service for him on Wednesday, and I get up and speak. Uh, the athletic director, we were supposed to play on Friday, and the athletic director asked me, do you want to play? And I said, frankly, no. Uh, I don't want to play, but if our players want to play, I'll, I'll go. He asked the players, they said they want to play, but we don't have to go unless coach can go. So there's a real, real strong relationship there. The athletic director, it actually probably helped me because the athletic director was like, wow, this is, you're trying to take care of them. They're trying to take care of you. We had the service and we had made the decision to go on the trip. And I was very emotional at the service and I'm walking out and I see our team because they're all wearing the same thing, but a hundred, maybe 200 feet in front of me. And they were just talking. And then three guys came out of that circle, three seniors and said to me, uh, can you do this? Cause we don't have to do this. You know, we want to take care. And that's why we're winning hockey games. Uh, and, and, and I'm at a point where I understand that's the, the winning of the game means nothing to me right now, steering a group of young men through this adversity and having them be better for it. Cause that's what Josh would want me to do. Uh, that's my mission this season. And, um, I really think because we've taken the focus off of the result and put the focus on our room and our, our relationships that our team is having more success, ironically. Um, but I love Josh. I miss him every day. Uh, coaching without him is difficult because he was the guy on our staff that would calm me down. Uh, I used to go to him and when I was really emotional, he'd just laugh. You know, he'd just he'd break the ice in the middle of a hockey game when um, he coached our power play last year. We had the number one power play in the league. And now I'm coaching and we're not as good. And I told our guys right when this happened, like I said, I'm going to coach the power play. But understand, you guys had a unique relationship with Josh. It's going to take me a while. I don't care if I'm the head coach or I'm the trainer. It's going to take me a while to catch up. So um, we've had to go into each other's lives that way and be patient with each other. Um, and it's been very, very rewarding. And I think, and I hope that it's honoring Josh and my mind's eye, uh, Josh and my son, Gordon, uh, watching every game we play together. And that's how I go forward. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, you know, Josh meant the world to many of us. So I don't want to ramble on about it, but I, I'm glad you brought it up because even though it makes me emotional, it, it brings him to life for me. And that's, that's what I like to have happen. Yeah. Wow. Scott, that's, uh, I couldn't couldn't imagine, you know, uh, the way you speak about him, and 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 obviously trying to balance the emotional loss with the job that you have to do, you know, and the and the leader that you that you need to be for everyone else around you. It's uh, trying for sure, not to mention your own, you know, it, personal family relationships too. That's going on there. It sounds like Josh was a big part of all that. So uh, never to be replaced, I'm sure. And then yet. Like you said, you're now doing more. You're having more responsibilities. Is, is that is that something that is on the list? Like, do, do you need to have a, another support person in there, or is this going to be the way that the season rolls, and then we'll figure that out later? We're going to roll with it like this. I think um, originally, I wasn't sure we could give the players the experience they needed without adding someone to our staff, and that that was um, something I had to really walk through and. My athletic director has been incredibly supportive and talked through it with me. Um, but now I see it as a way of honoring Josh 
you know, and I can do more. And we all, everybody on our staff can do more. Uh, we're not going to fill the role he did perfectly, but he's going to stay in our hearts and on our bench and in our locker room. And I think bringing a new personality to that, uh, it might actually disrupt our room. And it wouldn't really even be fair to that person. Um, so uh, we're going to roll right as we are and, and see where it takes us and deal with it next year. Yeah, excellent. Well, you, you mentioned winning hockey games has become a bit secondary. Um, and maybe that's, I mean, that's not the words you used, uh, but le- focusing less on the result. And yet here we are, you know, the number five ranked team in the nation with with eyes set, I would I would assume, on 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 the potential of a national championship, which which would be absolutely amazing. How do you how do you keep that that perspective and that grounded approach when when really the pinnacle is is slightly in sight? We, we both know that there's a half a season left, but, you know, things are rolling. You guys are on a hot streak, must be feeling really good about yourself. Um, how do you balance those two? You know, we just try to uh, hockey East. The league that we're in is 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 a grind. It's it's really deep. Um, there's probably eight teams out of eleven that could win it um, if they went on a bit of a run. They have good enough teams that they could win it. There's very little difference between them. Uh, we're one of those eight, uh, I believe. So, but what we're really trying to do is just focus on that next one. Um, and right now that next one's Providence and they haven't lost a game in the league yet. And that, that will be a challenge for sure. Um, but that's th- that it, it, I think if you get too far ahead of yourself, when I came to Merrimack, they said, what are your goals for the program? And I said, my goal is that we win a national championship. And uh, the president and the athletic director thought that was a little audacious uh, and that we didn't have um, Merrimack had no history of being able to show they could even win the league, never mind the national tournament. And, my my uh, and Josh Josh came with me. Like he was on my hip when I took this job. So he, it was both of us who created Mission Merrimack. And I was like, well, why would we play? Like I'm sure every guy in the National Hockey League wants to win the Stanley Cup. Why else would he play? I mean, I, I know there's other things that happen, but in our sport, as much as any sport, um, it is that room lifting like the cup. And in our situation, the the, the piece of wood that's the NCAA trophy. Um, and why else would you work so hard and, and put so much into it and sacrifice so much? So I talk about it all the time, you know, and people have said to me in the past, you know, what, and even this year, geez, do you think you can? I said, of course, I think we can. Some people don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about it every day. You know, that's exciting to me. And, and the, the winning would be special. The chase is, is something we can have. That's right in front of us. And we can have that chase. And what an awesome experience to have as a group especially in all the other things we've talked about. So if you enjoy that chase together, it's not just me. If it was just me chasing it, it wouldn't be, number one, it wouldn't be attainable. And number two, it wouldn't even be fun. But when you have the whole group chasing it, which I think we are right now, um, it's a blast. It's, it's, it's really, it's really, really rewarding and not just to the coaching staff. I think it's rewarding to every guy in our room you know, our, you know, I, today I walked up here today and our captain said to me, Hey coach, are you, um, I know this is commonplace in NHL locker room, but do you want to contribute to the fund for the equipment manager? And that's never happened here before. Like that's never come up. And I said, of course I do. I said, what are you guys doing? He told me what they were doing. And no, I was like, that's, these are 18 to 23 year old kids who have given their money to someone that works really hard and they feel like it's underappreciated. And so it's, it's all that stuff that comes with that, I think, that really makes it a fun experience. Well, yeah, and to circle back to that word belief that we talked about earlier, like I, I, I applaud you for for keeping it a part of the narrative because 
you, you don't win something that you don't think you can win. Right. So like, you know, having that discussion and, and having those, those young men, like think about that, what it's like to hold that trophy and to be on, uh, on that ice being champions. Like the more they live that and the more they think that the more that you genuinely believe it. I mean, that's totally, totally something that has to happen. You know, like the, I, I, I'll tell a quick personal story. Like I, I wanted to play in the NHL and I thought I could, but I never actually did any type of mental training about what I was going to do when I got there, you know, like when I had the opportunity. So like it, it was, yeah, okay, now I'm wearing this NHL jersey, but I had never really done the homework, the mental homework to allow myself to feel like I was supposed to be there, right? Like I wanted to be there, but I didn't really know how I was supposed to be there. And um, and that was one of the lessons that I took away from my own experience and I try to impart on players now is, is that belief system. Yeah, where do you want to be and really live in that spot where you want to be even though you're not there yet, right? So for your group right now, they're knocking on the door. And yeah, the more you talk about it, the more you make that thing be believable, the more they're going to step into that and, and, and really have the opportunity to do it. So super fun. Um, I really appreciate your, your your time here today, Scott. I think that's a great probably place to end the interview. Um you know, on the success of Merrimack and, you know, the last five years in your journey there to, to bring these, these guys closer to, uh, to something that you've wanted to do from, from day one that a lot of people didn't believe in. So um, awesome job that you're doing there. It sounds like the players have a, have a great environment to be a part of. And, and thanks for sharing all your wisdom here today. Well, I don't know if I call it wisdom, Jason, but I do appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. And it, uh, I think as a coach, you're honored to have guys in the room that want to listen to you. So if you uh, get that honor, embrace it and move forward with it. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening, this this episode was live in my in my parent group on Facebook. Uh, had an opportunity to sit here and listen live with Scott. You definitely could have asked questions too. So if you're listening to the podcast in the normal podcast channel, you can definitely join the parent group if you are a hockey parent and then have the opportunity to listen in live and join the conversation. So Scott, thanks again for being here today. Uh, best of luck with the rest of the season. We'll be in touch, I'm sure, in one, in one way or another. And, and I'll be following <laughs> the Mary Mac Warriors the rest of the way. Thanks, Jason. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the entire conversation with Scott. If you are still listening, you are amazing. Uh, you're sticking around to the end. And I actually, I shouldn't even thank you for that because, you know, what Scott had to say, it was pretty hard to, uh, to turn, to turn it off. What, what insight, uh, what an amazing experience, what an honest perspective, you know, like even his ability to allow himself to be challenged by his players, to allow on his own personal self-assessment reflection to know, hey, I got a lot of things wrong previously, and now I've had this new way to look at culture development and team development and team building and recruiting. Um, that has helped. That has helped build this organization. Uh, I love that. I love that. If we can't be honest with ourselves, if we can't be honest when we look in the mirror to see where we can grow and how we can improve, uh, we're not going to. So as long as Scott has been in the game, as many years as he's been involved in it, he's still looking for ways to grow. He's still looking for ways to improve and to provide more value uh, to the players that that, uh, that show up to battle for him. And uh, I congratulate that. Uh, and obviously, Scott, if you're listening to this, I mean, thank you so much again for your time uh, and for your your willingness to be honest and raw and, and, and to be emotional. And I, and I think that that's something that I pride uh, this show on is, is just having honest conversations. 
Uh, I try not to have these things be interviews. Uh, I try to make them conversational and discussions and something that you would you would have around a, a family dining room table. And, and you know, may, maybe that's appropriate because Scott did use that term that this is when he recruits players, he wants somebody that he would want to have at his dinner table. And, uh, and if you don't want to be at the dinner table, then you probably don't want him in your locker room and you probably don't want to be battling in a 2-2 game and for a national championship with that player either. So, um, again, in that scenario, what's he talking about? He's talking about the person. He's not talking about the toe drags or the, or the release of the shot, but he's talking about who is this human being that I'm going to be associating myself with. So um, love that. I love that message. Uh, continue to push for those players that are listening right now or the, or the moms or dads that are listening, continue to push the personal development of your hockey player. Use hockey, the thing that they're most passionate about, to push them in other areas, right? To challenge their growth, to challenge their ability to, to sacrifice, to challenge their ability to grow as a teammate and and to grow their, their discipline and their commitment and their accountability to their goals and dreams. And and if we can do that as, as hockey coaches and as parents, and if we can hear that message as athletes, my goodness, you are not only going to be blowing through expectations in the, in the hockey world, but you're going to be set up for a prosperous and engaging and fulfilling life. So uh, thank you again for being here. Uh, excellent, excellent um, discussion there with Scott. Scott, thank you for being here, and I hope we have another chance to, to discuss it. And anyone from the Merrimack universe uh, that is listening to this or maybe to this program for the first time, like what an amazing what an amazing feel-good story, and, and and what a and what a great thing to to provide Matt, uh, school pride and and uh, yeah, you must be really excited about what's going on there, and be really thankful for what that hockey team's doing for uh, for the uh, for the atmosphere of the university. And I know that I'm I'm a fan now, and I'm going to be following along and cheering you guys on to hopefully a national championship. And and if not uh, if not a national championship, the success the team is having this year is, is a sign of great things to come in the future. So thank you for everybody listening, whether it's the first time or, or for the for the 93rd time. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, you spending time with me today. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.